Episode 103, language. Is it a technology, an instinct, or a virus? I can't pull that off. <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm Clay Lowe. And I'm Sarah Beth Hunt. You're listening to the Havana Cafe Sessions podcast. Where we get together once a week over coffee to talk about the big questions of life. Let's get into the show. All right. Hello. Hello. How are we doing? Good. How have you been? Um, yes, I've been good. I've been writing again this week. I've got uh, about three chapters to go before the grand finale of the novel. Right. So I'm pushing to the end now. All right, good. that sounds good. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. I've gone and done my 25th wedding anniversary on this past hey, Tuesday. Yay. Silver. So, change. Good work. Rings from gold to silver now. How nice. Yeah, man. Good work. That's Where'd you guys go? Uh, Out to dinner? Nah, come on, stop it. When you've been married that long, you don't do stuff like that anymore. Come on. <laughs> uh, I, had, I had trouble remembering which day it was. I know it was either 21st, 22nd, or 23rd. But I couldn't quite. Does Ruth remember? Remember, of course she remembers. See, no, it's not of course because no. I, we always forget, and then it'll be like a month later, and we're like, "Oh, whoops." Ah. So, but at least we're well matched we, in that way because we okay. both we, we both, both are terrible. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah it's good. So, it's good to remember these things. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, one of my gifts was a keychain of a calendar of May with the date circle. So good there work. you go. I can't forget anymore. Good work. So today we're talking about language, language as a instinct, as in are we born with a language, I guess, as an instinctual thing, or is it a virus, yeah. or yeah. is it a technology? Yeah, that's the big question. That's the big question. We will never have an answer to it, but we'll spend the next half hour or so discussing. Uh, I have an answer. I have a whole, well, I got a whole new theory. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, yeah, you've uh, got the, you're, you're on the virus. I mean, I had, all yeah. I had to do was read that question yeah. from you and was like, it's the Matrix, so of course he wants it to be a virus. But but that didn't come from the Matrix. It's just, well, been, I know it didn't, but I've been it, re- it's I've been reading a lot all of this of the, um, Burroughs stuff. Yeah. And he was big in that language is a virus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, because I've been in that kind of world for the last month or so, I guess, between him. You've been reading William Burroughs for the last month? Yeah, him okay. and Kirak and Jim Ginsburg and then some of the ones that came after them. So it's just in that whole sort of space I've been Right, all right. Been reading. I was reading that Kathy Acker and then, of course, her major influence was Burroughs. Okay. I, I didn't like him. So, like, I'm a big fan of the Beat Generation, that kind of, but like Kirak and mm-hmm. some of these other cats, but I didn't really connect with barrels that much and then this lady reading her stuff made me want to reconnect with and I started reconnecting and reading about him and then I was like oh I like this dude so now he's my new he's my new favorite guy at the moment I'm reading his biography all right um listening to Naked Lunch which is what it's one of his big big books um and I just ordered the the trilogy the cut up yeah, series the Nova. Yeah, yeah the Nova yeah. thing yeah. All right. Okay. So let's get into this thing. So, um, so wait, apparently, you know, I really liked this because of course, as a writer, I think about language all the time, mm. but it, because I'm not a biologist, I, or evolutionary biologist, it never occurred to me to think about whether language was 
something instinctual or, and apparently this is like this massive thing for linguists, like where did language come from? Where was the first language and stuff like well, that? Well, it's always been a question in my head, having kids and all, because I always thought, well, if you never spoke in front of a kid, what language, what do they have, what's happening in their head even before you start trying to teach them to to think. So when they get hungry, I know they cry, but is there words that happen in their head and is that in the native language? Or I mean, so that's that's been a great mystery for me. It's like, well, what, what's going on in the kid's head? And then if you were to isolate the kid where they didn't have any contact with any well, other they, humans. That's what I wanted to look up and I haven't um, managed to do it yet. But there's these um, cases of children who have been like, you know, literally like a Mowgli kind of raised mm. in the jungle um, but do they have a language in their head? And is it of their origin, you know, of their ethnicity? No, and that's what Noam Chomsky did. So as a, as a linguist, Noam Chomsky set, sort of studied the fact that you could take, like that basically we have a more generalized capacity for, for language itself rather than any particular specific language. So you can take some you know, British person and take them to whatever country in the world you want. And as an infant, if they are raised in that culture, then they will speak that language fluently. Right. So, so we don't we have a, we, we don't it, come pre-packaged with a particular language. No. <laughs> and that, so that, that was his study. Um, or probably just one of the many things he's done. But apparently one of the big things about the history of like linguistics is that in the 19th century they actually banned this question yeah, and it was like this, this big like academic um, like how can you ban research into questioning something yeah. but they, they, they just finally I, it, it probably came from the fact like that the there's this the un- yes exactly yeah. like they basically were like no and it was only with Noam Chomsky and this guy called Steven Pinker that they sort of revived that question and actually petitioned the, because there was a couple of different big linguistics sort of, you know, institutes basically that banned that. So then they sort of had to petition to say, actually, this is what I want to study. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And it goes back all the way to Darwin and the um, Descent of Man, which he wrote in 1871, according to my notes. Yeah, according to your notes. Apparently, there's this there's this book by Christine Canelli called "The First Word: A Search for the Origins of Language," and so she sort of talks about how there's some speculation by Darwin to say that language is not um, just a conscious invention that it's been slowly developed over time. And you know, that for me, it's, it's, I suppose that's always been my assumption because the more the less you assume that humans are special and the more you come back into thinking about humans as just one species of animal mm. then there are lots of animals that communicate through sound to mean things to signify things so just because i mean we have a more complex language but you think about birds you think about whales you, i mean we know some things about yeah. what dolphins and whales are saying but to eat I don't know. I feel like it's very presumptuous that, to assume that, that they don't have very is there a complex thought between communications and language, though. So, are they communicating, or do they have a language? Huh, that's an interesting question. I don't know. What's the difference in your head? 
Well, I'm thinking communicating as I don't need a language necessarily to do that. I can use sound or body movements and stuff right. um, to communicate, but I don't necessarily need to have a language to be able to speak, to talk, to formulate. So you're saying thoughts. that when a bird makes a specific pattern of sound to, sig- to communicate danger. Yeah. That's different than us making a word that signifies a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so, hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So perhaps that's that. Because one of the things in the reading that you had, and they were saying, well, if you're saying that language is, an, is, a, is a technology and we invented it at some point, even if it evolved, you have to keep going back. You keep, you keep opening up the worm, basically, which is why it was banned after a while. As in, yeah. um, if you used, at some point I have to have some capacity to signal to you to say that this is a coffee cup and make that sound. And then, so I've had to have the capacity to make the language to begin with. And yeah, then you yeah, can go yeah. back to, well, it was just sound. And then, okay, well, you know, yeah, so we were born, or at least someone, some say that, yeah, we're born with the capacity for language as opposed to it. Well, the other thing I thought that was interesting in terms of the whole like linguistics origin of language thing is that there was this debate between whether it was an instinct or whether it was a sort of cultural acquisition. Right. And so there's a guy called Edward Sapir who says, walking is an inherent biological function of man, but but speech is non-instinctual acquired cultural function. And so he was in opposition to this guy called Steven Pinker who said that language is no more a cultural invention than is upright posture. It's a biological adaptation to communicate information. So he's saying it's sort of evolutionary just development. Yeah. Whereas, and, and the thing I thought was sort of interesting was that there was one article, I didn't actually enjoy reading it that much, but it did bring one interesting idea to my head, which is that each generation like we see instead of thinking about it sort of how we came to walk upright which is an evolutionary thing over thousands and thousands of generations we can think about language acquisition as something that repeats itself literally every generation again and again and if you isolate a human they will not learn to talk and actually Um, A really dear friend of mine's daughter was born profoundly deaf, and she's had to really struggle to get these um, cochlear implants put in before she, you know, reaches a sort of older age, because I do think that they now understand that once you pass a certain age, your ability to understand language starts to diminish so if you already have the imprint there because you've been hearing language for you know the early years I saw a TED talk on that the other day did you? okay about that it was about neuroscience and it was debunking some of the neuro myths that we have one of those being about we don't have the capacity to learn persons at a certain age but language was one of the few things that we can't learn right interesting our capacity to learn it diminishes after a certain age. Right, okay. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. Language has never been one of my... Learning a different language has never been a strong suit. I tried Spanish. I tried Portuguese. <laughs> I yeah. tried German. Uh, Portuguese, I heard, is hard. Yeah, but yeah. None, none of it. It's just like I could read it, but it's the understanding and the speaking. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it just didn't work. The, but there's to read it and understand it that way. 
I was could pick it up, but yeah. But wasn't yeah. it so? Wasn't it play? Was it Plato? You'll know this that who sort of had that idea that you have a chair, you know, and we use that word chair to signify individual <sighs> things, but that there exists a like ideal chair. Well, who is that? And that basically there's this, and I was sort of thinking, this was on the car on the ride over, sort of thinking that that is sort of what we're talking about, isn't it? And on a slightly different level about having something that signifies something. So I was just thinking, like, you have this well, word like what chair. what you were saying earlier, before we started rolling the tape, where you were saying that our self-centeredness, the stuff you're reading from Nietzsche. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to cover that because I think that was interesting in the sense yeah. that, that yeah, the, we've made a symbol, or we've made a symbol in our language for, I don't know, a tree, for instance. But then that's not actually a, what it is. It, what it is. Yeah. But we don't go beyond that to figure out what it is because we, in fact, it's from that, like the song, that '99 Red Balloons, that one that we have, where everybody's a Captain Kirk. Everybody's a superhero with orders to identify, clarify, and classify. And then once right. you classify things, you don't have to think about them anymore, do you? Right, <laughs> so yeah. I don't really know, need to know anything beyond it. I recognize I think, it's I truth. think that's the thing. Like when you start off with that question, is language a technology or a virus or something, mm. then you sort of do have to go back to thinking about what language is and how you use language and then I sort of yeah anyway. so now we can throw in the matrix because now we're talking about the Savulkra and the simulations and that book as in like language is uh, like you're going to talk about Nietzsche and metaphors the language mm-hmm. is a metaphor for the thing yeah but it isn't actually the thing but yep. the thing but the metaphor has become more real than the thing Yes. So the simulation now is yes. what we consider to be real, but it actually isn't real. Yes. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes, that <laughs> made like, sense, but like, only yes. probably because yes. I've just read Nietzsche. <laughs> okay. Yes. So Nietzsche, in this article in Brain Pickings, which I'll link to in the show notes, is I, I really liked it. I thought it was good. Um, he was saying that he had, he had some really interesting things to say about language and how we think about what is true. So he says that we have this need for belonging and it's led human beings to designate things and to agree on what everything's called. And then actually that need to belong to the group causes us to redesignate truth as a form of social contract. Right. Yeah. So that we all have to like agree that this is a cup but once the one within that group setting, the idea that we all agree becomes more important than whether the word describes what it is. Right. Do you so see, does that make sense? It becomes our collective illusion. Yeah. So then he says, um, let's see. Are we on Nietzsche still? Yeah. We're, so yeah. we're on Nietzsche. I'm just trying to think. So, so he's basically saying then you get... This um, designation, so he says, this is a bit of a funny thing if you're not reading it, but a uniformly valid and binding designation, that means a word, is invented for things, and this legislation of language likewise establishes the first laws of truth. So we all agree that this word, we're going to make up a word, and it's going to be cup, and it's going to bind itself to the thing. Yeah. 
And this is the way that we we legislate between ourselves and objects around us. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, and that then that cup becomes, becomes cup, but we don't necessarily know what we stop. Like you're saying, we sort yeah. of stop interrogating it and stop so we looking at it. We don't know the truth. So then a liar, speaking of not knowing the truth, a liar, he says, is a person who uses the valid designations, meaning the right word, the words, in order to make something which is unreal appear real. And this is where I, I felt like that was the thing that led me on to go, okay, let's now look at Burroughs and talk about how language is used to control and... Like has all the nefarious control. sort of yeah. like aspects of it. Because, you know, for me as a writer, I'm like, I love language. Language isn't a virus, you know. It'd yeah. be quite, you know, ingenuine for me to but get I on think, my high horse and um, say well, no, language be, is a virus. But I think it was because it was two sides of it, wasn't it? That it was for communications and control. Um, and I think where Burroughs was coming from is perhaps there was a lot of emphasis on the control bit, even as writers, and because they were because they okay. were bucking the system of That's publication, true, wasn't it? Yeah. So you had someone telling you that this could be published and that couldn't be published, so they had the control. Right. And a lot of what the whole sort of beat generation thing was about was, well, let's almost kind of take that back, or let's just forget about the establishment and, and go counterculture on this thing and publish our stuff underground because the government and big companies have the control of what, what gets published and even deciding what gets read, like, you know, all the obscenity laws and things like that. So um, for them, it was about how do we how do we break that control? Um, and so what Burroughs did with the whole cut-up yeah. stuff was, well, you can actually, let's, let's, one, let's take back control of it by, by doing something that bucks what your mind thinks it should mm-hmm. be. Which then makes you back to this space of okay, maybe a cup isn't just a cup. Let me juxtapose it. Or with maybe the else. word "cup" doesn't tell you much doesn't about tell you what much. it is. And then let's investigate what actually is going on here. See, I think the thing for me that um, thing means that I don't get too worked up about it is that I sort of feel like the first thing I think of is the Zen Cohen from the whole Buddhist tradition about the finger that points to the moon is not the mm. moon. So it's this, like, there is this idea as well. Okay, you're trying to express and teach and guide within language that is a complete inadequate expression of what you will find through the meditative and, you know, this Zen path mm. or whatever Buddhist path. And breaking through that illusion that just because you're saying something means you understand it is like part of the training. Mm. But I suppose the thing is that we don't really tend to inquire in general. We're not sort of taught to inquire. Well, there's a couple of things to think about it as, and when you think about it as a virus and as a piece of technology language, because we don't think about our thinking necessarily anymore, and we've adopted the language. All the things that you said there, we agreed and collective and social contracts. So both of us are speaking language, and we're not necessarily paying attention to what the words do to our insides. So I know we've talked before on the podcast about neurolinguistic programming, um, and I know there's arguments and pros and cons for both sides, but. Um, 
basically in that is that the words that you hear trigger some response inside your head and which then creates a behavior. Lots of people aren't paying attention to the words that come in. They hear them, but they're not paying attention to the responses that they get from the words. So I know we had a, a podcast yeah. where we were saying, you know, that things that will make you happy or make you sad or make you angry isn't what the person's done. It's your reaction to the words. But that's what yeah. you're, that's the program. So we look at language, program the brain, and then you have a reaction. And most of us in this trance-like state don't step up to say, well, actually, is that what I want? Or am I happy to accept the programming? Yeah. So it's it's being able to it's being able to seize take back control of that, so that you choose the reactions that you have and not go on not be a robot. Basically, I mean, there's arguments. Yeah. I don't know if you read any of Charles Tart's stuff, but I mean, he starts off in the very very beginning of it of his book is about how we're actually we are androids in a, in a sense. As in you do, yeah, language, you brought your parents program you. You know, you do this, don't do that. You, you got to go to school. Schools put more programming in you, and all around you, society's programming you. And but at what point have you stepped back and said, "Well, actually, I don't want this to be a cup. I'm going to investigate the nature of it and make it something else." Or to say, "Yes, we can all like the the word cup is something that we use as a tool." To if you know, I want someone to hand me something to hold liquid in, but that doesn't mean that I've paid attention to what this is. Mm. And I mean, so it, the I, I feel like there there comes a point where using simple things it obscures what we're talking about. But I mean, if you think about something like, um, you know, something a bit more complex when we're naming an emotion or we're naming like, you know, we're using words like. Well, truth or you, like yeah. justice or you know when we Any when we those use words, words. They're, they're complex so if you say uh, anger you and I all have different concepts of what that means so what yeah. angers you won't necessarily ang- yeah. make me angry so like some of the stuff that I do in a couple of my workshops I call them fat words P-H-A-T words mm-hmm. because a lot of times we start having when we're talking about communications, we are having communications, and even though we're using the same word, we have a different interpretation and a different reaction, a different uh, experience to the word. Right. So I'm completely missing the point missing for the you, point yeah. or reacting in a different way because we're not very because language isn't very precise. So when someone says to me that it's going to be difficult, if I react just to the word difficult, I'm only reacting to my model of what difficult is. Yeah, and, and your I'm, emotional feelings about difficulty. Well, what it is. And so if yeah. I'm working with you in that instance, I need to understand what your model of difficult is because the problem is your problem, not my problem. So if I'm helping right. you to solve the problem with my model, if I'm solving the, I would be solving the problem yeah. for me, not for you, because I don't know what your model of difficult is. Right, right, right. And yeah, so I get to, that. Yeah, so you have to kind of unpack yeah. all these nebulous words like truth and difficult or challenge or happy or because it does get a lot more complicated when you are moved beyond cup or you know phone or whatever into into the language that we actually are using that becomes imprecise yeah yeah and the influence that you have when we talk about language as a virus so if i say to you and to the listeners right now don't think of a pink elephant and what do you have to do in order to understand that sentence 
think about a pink elephant. Yeah. Yeah, so then my virus <laughs> control, and that happens all the time, though. That happens. They, pay attention to adverts that you watch. If, if when we walk out of here, just pay attention to all the things that are hitting your subconscious mind. Yeah. Language-wise, the signs and all those things that are having an impression on you. And, and a lot of times we're not even aware of those impressions. Yeah, it's true. But shall we take a quick break and yeah, then come I think, back and I then think we afterwards, can, I can tell you my theory of yes, I language hear your theory. as a mass, mass and I wanna, of mass destruction yeah exactly yeah, but <laughs> that's, that's enough of, yeah. a, of a hook for yeah. sticking around All right. thanks for listening to the podcast we really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years our goal for 2018 is to grow our audience our community of contemplators like you and we would really appreciate your help with this Now, there's a few things that you as a listener can do that are pretty easy and simple that will really help us out a lot. So if you enjoy the podcast and want it to continue, it would be great if you could share it with a few friends who you think might enjoy listening. Um, Going to iTunes and giving us a review so that it boosts us in the algorithms and it can come across other people who might enjoy it. And if you'd like to financially support the podcast, you can go to the contribution section of our website. Thanks, and back to the show. Okay, so language is a virus, and I had this thought, my 5 a.m. thought, that how language was, if you buy the, if you buy the idea that language is a virus and it's a technology and it's invented, um, that I saw the... Cause you okay, said those the, two things are different. Whether it's a technology or whether it's a virus, <laughs> okay. doesn't have to be <laughs> the same. They don't have to be the same. All right, well, I'll stick with the virus bit, because you, okay. you sent some articles about um, the printing press. Mm-hmm. And that kind of changed. Can you it. explain what you mean, again, about either what you or what William Burroughs says about language as a virus? Like, what does that mean? I think it meant that language could be used as a communication tool as, and as a, as a way of, as a thing Infiltrating to control. Infiltrating you. Yeah. Yeah, and right, so okay. A, communication and control. So I can control you by You can put something in my head and words then... Words into your head. Yeah, right. And then influence your behaviors, your thoughts, your decisions, your whole life. I can influence with words. And of course, then I can make virus you cry spreads. with words. You know, you can do a lot of things with words. <laughs> to yeah. Be, okay, I can make you laugh. That I whole thing about cry. sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Yeah, but that's, that's not true. No, isn't it? <laughs> and so definitely not. I was saying, I was thinking, well, okay, if that's if that's true, then thinking about the printing press as a weapon of mass destruction, what came to me because before that. And this is about written language, not just spoken language. Because the written language would only been able to affect the people that I could speak to and, and hear me. And if you think about Christianity and the Christian church, said that most of the people that could read were the elite or the church could read. To read the Bible, and then I'll tell you what the Bible says. I interpret it for you because most of us you know, couldn't read. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, there's a power struggle going on between the church and the state. The state, and but the church has sway over the masses. And as the Romans said, control the mob, then you control the state. And so the state wanted to control the state, so they had to control the mob. So you invent the printing press so that books can get into more people's hands and the more people's hands and minds it could get into, the more you could spread your message and you dislodge the church's hold on people because now they can read for themselves 
which then they can start thinking and seeing different things. And I feel like you're saying two contradictory things. Because okay. I, I feel like you're saying on the one hand, you can access different points of view, which means you can start to think for yourself. Yes, but that's the thing. That's why I say it's a, a weapon of mass destruction because before that, I had someone else had to tell me what things meant, particularly the Bible. But isn't but isn't that words are a virus magnified? Say that. Say it. well in in the sense that if you have this idea about like okay Jesus yeah. So what is Jesus? Who was Jesus? We have this word. He's a, this word represents but I wouldn't, all this stuff. Yeah, so and, and originally, when you have the Catholic Church involved with everything, then there's only one way of interpreting that designation. And, but, but, through, but through words, I mean through language, as in spoken language, not through written language. Although it was written down, but I, I couldn't read. So the printing that's right. press, yeah. I guess, has made books cheaper. So, so, the, yeah, yeah. so the books got into more people's hands, but then you don't know. It's just like a virus now on a computer, right? I get it into one computer, and then it affects yeah, others. Yeah, right, exactly. But and it, then I don't know what's going to happen after that. But are you spreading, like with... If you're talking about a word as a designation, mm. then if it only can ever mean one thing, like one interpretation of that thing, mm. then isn't that more rigid than something that here's a book that says Jesus is like this, here's a book that says Jesus is like this, here's a book that says, and then the word itself, Jesus, ha is elastic. You know, it, it becomes. But it's not about the words anymore. Now it's about the fact that you don't believe everything I say is true because I have different interpretations. But isn't that good? Not if you're the Catholic Church and you want to control. That's my point. My point is, if I'm the state and I want to But then wrestle, it's a good virus. It's still a virus. I never said anything about good or bad. Okay. I just said it was a virus. I didn't this make a morality. This is a problem yeah. of communication yeah, exactly. because... I never said anything about good or bad, just, but you assume that the virus is bad. I do assume that the yeah. virus is bad. So, so if I'm the one trying to wrestle... So if we go from back yeah, to the, yeah, the mob, control the mob, you control the state. I forgot that you're the zombie apocalypse. You want anarchy, and therefore this whole line of thinking is the good thing, like m mass... Destruction is good. Well, it's it's good, <laughs> but not. So it's, so we're demonstrating the uh, we're inadequacy doing, of language. What right we're now. doing is is transferring who gets to have the control. So, so for the normal person, again, they're they're sucking. Their life sucks because whether you know the state was you know the church was controlling them, but now I'm a state or a ruler or a politician, and actually I want to control the people, but I need to get the power yeah. struggles between this church and the state, state says, all right, here's, let's release this printing press thing so now I can loosen your hold on the people and now I get to do some stuff with yeah. the people. All along, the people are still being manipulated. Right, I see. <laughs> They're just being manipulated by someone right. else. So we weren't involved in the power struggle anyway. It's just yeah. we were just pawns. Yeah. So it's the church and the state having this battle and so yeah. there's my weapon. Now I've unleashed yeah. this thing. Now you don't have control over the people anymore. Yeah. And so now I come up well, with another way to control the people through consumerism. Hundreds of years <laughs> later, we have indie publishing, and now the uh, democratization of what can be printed is expanding even yeah, further. Absolutely, and the internet lets everybody is a yeah. media company, so yeah. I can 
make words. I can make videos. Yeah. I can make films. Which, in a way, is kind of. I can of, make radio podcasts. I kind of wonder whether some of this makes things more makes communication more difficult because, you know, you do have the the more elastic a word gets, the more difficult it is to be precise when you're communicating, hmm. and so in a t- you know in a time and place in which things mean only one thing or one interpretation of the thing then everybody knows when you say that what you mean whereas nowadays with so much different interpretation it's sort of like you know in the 50s everyone watched the same tv programs and up until recently and you know in our generation whereas now nobody watches the same stuff necessarily because there's so much stuff to watch yeah, but then and we have uh, we can have a conversation about tribes and communities, so don't you? So there is, a, there is a so everybody will watch. There'll be a population of people that watch yeah, that yeah. set of shows, right? But then that yeah. becomes a community or a tribe. And it, you do really notice this whole thing with language when you mm. go to different. I mean, you must notice it when you go in and work in different kind of companies, mm. where it's like you have the lawyer language and you have the. You know, we do have, like, you know, when I was in the academic world, there's a very particular way of of writing and speaking and talking about things. And then here, that you have to sort of learn a kind of language. So, isn't it? That's back to that whole idea about control. So, by having that, you have to have this specific way to speak is a way to. It actually does control control. what you can say, how what questions you can can ask. That's right. That is true. So, yeah. Then, so but now, as you say, with internet, printing press, all that, I can break the means of control, which, you know, a lot of people are, you know, the whole sort of thing with the internet, and we look at the media and journalism, if they were at one point in time were the people that made sense of the news, and then, of course, you know, then you you have the assumption that they've done the fact-checking and they've Mm -hmm. done everything and make sure that it's as objective as it can be. Now that you have citizen journalism... Yeah. Then you're able to put all sorts of stuff. So who's yeah. governing? Yeah. And then you get all your fake news and all these sorts of things that begin to happen because our the gatekeepers are no longer in control. Yeah. Which from one end as an anarchist, it was I always like it. fake news, wasn't it? It was <laughs> yeah. just yeah, it was, the state's fake news versus yeah, absolutely. But Joe, now, whoever's but fake now news. more people can throw it out there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And then right. it's like, well, how do you determine what's real and what's not real, what's fake, what's true, not true? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because then I was thinking about, okay, what practical things am I going to think about? Because there's a lot of practical stuff about, on the one hand, how do you try, why is it important and when is it important to be really precise about the way that you say things? So I think all this is it. I think the practical thing is, is that we're talking to people every day, and but we're all making decisions and having reactions off of, Based on language. Well, on assumptions as well. Like even yeah. our sort of thing. I said virus, and I just, just I was yeah. just saying virus. Yeah. I yeah. wasn't thinking to say good or bad, yeah. but you yeah. were yeah. looking at virus as being bad, and so yeah. 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 you know we started having a whole conversation. Yeah. And, Viruses yeah. make you sick. But it's it's, it's in anything, and and, and no, on one hand you can say well it, it would make it would make getting things done cumbersome if I took time to understand what you're really saying. Well. And we usually tend to not do that until there's a problem. See, I feel like, you know, when I was thinking about this, it was like there are times in which being really precise 
about the way that you say things is really important. Like, I do really believe that there is a difference with kids, for instance, in saying, in, in de designating between you're bad and your action was bad, but you're good. You're always good, but, you, but this choice was bad. I think actually kids have a very sophisticated understanding of language quite early, and I think they do understand the difference between those two things. And I was also thinking about, have you come across NBC sort of nonviolent communication stuff? Hmm. So there's, so that is, it, I mean, there's a thing about it which is Can more, I just, just before you go yeah. further, because with the good and the bad, now you've just instructed your kids what good and bad is, but that's going to be different from Joe down the street. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. So when they yeah. start talking, they're yeah, going to yeah. have a different concept yeah, of what yeah. good and bad is. That's right. So, But I mean, in terms of like, yeah, I mean, that is, yeah. that is true, too. But I think, you know, when you're being precise, like, it's really easy sometimes in your daily life to, you know, why, you know, you're naughty versus that, that action you did. That was a that was a naughty decision or that was a naughty thing to do or mm. whatever. I think those are those. You know, sometimes as adults, we mean the same thing, but the way that we choose to word them can mean quite different things to children. But then, you know, the and and, and similarly, well. yes, yeah, so, well, similarly yeah. with with this nonviolent communication stuff, it's a lot about um, reframing how you talk to other people so that in communication you never make statements like you did this and it made me mad. So you never say your actions made me feel mm. a certain way. You instead have to sort of change the way that you say things so that you have what they call as like sort of clean language so that you're yeah. taking responsibility. And I do think that being very precise about your language in those instances can be actually very helpful and completely transform the way that the communication happens. But then on the other hand, I was thinking about this guy that I met in the park the other day. It was an older guy. He must have been in his 80s. And he was on one of these OAP tour, you know, hmm. retiree tours. Um, and <laughs> first of all, I was sitting in the middle of the day at the park doing some work. And, you know, he, he sat down with his wife and their group and stuff. And he wanted to know, oh, oh so you're a housewife. And I was like, that's not a word that we use so much anymore. Mm. But then also he was, he, he sort of, I overheard him talking about how language is being used now by these sort of younger folk and people will say, call him in a shop like love or mate. And mm. he's like, I'm not your mate. I would, didn't serve on a ship with you. Mm. And I, I thought in those instances, I f and he was getting quite, you know, sort of like, oh, this is so offensive. You know, people should mm. say sir, or I think that's what he wanted people to say. And I was like, you know, there's so often when we get really worked up, when we know perfectly well what someone's intention was, but maybe they fumbled with their language or they didn't get it exactly right. And their intention and their, their meaning, like what they meant to communicate is very clear. But we latch on to the word designation that they chose in a, you know, because all language is sort of like um, improv, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And so it's just sort of coming out. And so sometimes we get it wrong and we all get it wrong and but things come out a bit awkward. And so often, instead of taking it the nice way that it was meant, people get all worked up but the, about uh, my, the way that it was I guess put. My, my, my challenge would be is that in order for you 
because we don't know that that's what that person meant. But the only way that you would know would be to ask the question. And this is the kind of stuff that I run into all the time inside of sort of corporate is that people will say things to me and we'll have a conversation and I go, well, have you said that to that person? Yeah. Well, no. Well, and have you asked that person if that's what they meant? Because I haven't clarified it, but I'm making decisions off of what I think that that person meant. Yeah, I think there are those those kind of situations. But mm. then I suppose what I was what I was overhearing from him was like he was mad that the bank teller when they when he would go to the bank and they would hand him his receipt or mm. something and say, "Oh, sir, there you go." He would say, "Where do I go?" And, and if you were a good salesperson, then you would address him as sir so uh, here, yeah. here we begin with language so what, what, yeah. what I'm taking from that is the person that was speaking to him and I'm siding with the old man here mm-hmm. hasn't taken the time to get to understand who he is and how he likes to be communicated in that person was yeah, communicating in their own style right. and offending if he really wanted to have influence on the old man how would you like to be addressed call me sir or call me whatever mm-hmm. then you've got the guy because mm-hmm. now he's not defensive. He's mm-hmm. not, because now I'm going to... And, and I was, I was meet, I had a, a training last week. I was working with a charity. Um, and we were just talking about influence. I was talking about power and influence. Most people, and this is relevant to the conversation here, we just go about the world in our own space. Yeah. If you want to have power and influence on people, you need to be able to step up, pay attention to the language people are saying. What metaphors are they using? Are they using visual metaphors, auditory, kinesthetic? Um, what yeah. type, you know, what, and use their language. You'll make a much better connection with the person and you have much more influence if you use their language. And then if you really want to understand someone, you need to watch. And it's a book called Structure of Magic. It's a bit dense to read, but if you want to kind of get a feel for what we're talking about here and how what I call running things back through the filter, mm-hmm. um, it's a good book to me. Because we just, you know, we, you know you, we just, I mean, I guess for efficiency, we just run around and we're doing what we're doing. And yeah, a cup. And that's Um, it. So we've said cup a lot of times right now. And every single person listening to this podcast will have a different vision in their head of cup. When actually what we're saying is, and maybe not even actually, it's a red cup, for one. It's not a mug. It's got (laughs) a saucer. Yep. And then it's got some, you know, so we've said cup and everybody's listening or had a different image of cup. It'd have been a different color, different size, different texture. Yeah. but then they will, they will have a reaction to that. And we do that all the time. So it's how do I run cut back through the filter to say, well, or difficult, I had to use that word earlier. How do yeah. I run that back through the When you say, hey, that's going to be difficult. And my first question to people is, what specifically is difficult? If we, So actually it's this. Okay, so if I can unpack what you really mean, then we can actually solve the problem. But most times just because we're not paying attention or we don't have time or whatever. Yeah. We just, once once our brains made the connection, we're good to go. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. going to be difficult. Here's what you got to do. And actually, so I would like right. to, to give up another practical example. Um, I was working with um, uh, a call handler um, and brilliant on lots of 
calls and then other calls. So he was like, oh, I find um, these calls difficult. Like, but basically what it broke down to, if it was a sounded like an older person, this is with me unpacking difficult, mm-hmm. she's been told by her parents that you respect your elders and you do this. So the questions that she needed to ask for her job she felt like she was disrespecting an older person. So as soon as it, she could do the job brilliantly, if it was someone younger or sounded their same age, as soon as it was a other person, totally different reaction, and it was all because sound old, old means I have to act this way, right. act this way, and a whole behavior changed right. based off of her programming from her language, from her parents that said you need to do however they instill that into it. You need to speak a certain way. It was instilled them, yeah. such that even though my job requires me to treat all people like this and ask these sets of questions, I can't. But the natural instinct was when she said I find it difficult to do this would be just to deal with difficult. But without asking what difficult was, I would never uncover that it wasn't the call. It was a call with older people that sounded this kind of age and I've been taught to be this way, and so I can't. So then we had to help her yeah, overcome right. that programming. Anyway, that's a practical application of, yeah. of what we're talking about. And, and, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's easier for us to just I, be in our own little world and yeah. interpretations yeah. and stuff. But I think what would be nice is if you thought about trying to be as precise as you can for others while being a bit loose when others are speaking to you because I think that's the thing is like you know it's just a little bit hard to get worked up all the time and we do use we use the excuse of language sometimes to get Mm. worked up I think yeah and I would I would almost say that the the trick to this to make you more influential is to understand other people's models yeah, right, okay. As opposed to if I, if I want to be precise, I'm being precise based off of my, whatever that means, precise. Mm-hmm. But you say and something I suppose, to me, I suppose me. At being able to ask somebody, what do you mean by that, is hmm. like something that we don't tend to do, but yeah. we should do more of. And there's some tricks to doing that, because if you said to me, what do you mean by that? Then that could trigger off some other things as well. Okay. Like something like a softener, like just out of curiosity, I was what did you mean by that particular thing? Because, in, again, distracting the mind, oh, he's just curious. Because sometimes if you say, well, what did you mean by that? Some it's people defensive, might yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. interpret that. But out of curiosity, what did you mean by that? Oh, he's just curious. So it was which, uh, which is a word that shifts your mental. Yeah, it yeah, just kind of shifts you a bit. Yeah. But there's a whole, there's a ton of that. But anyway, so language, technology, virus, or... I'm landing on technology. Yeah, I think it's uh, a virus. Little, it's a little bit of it all, isn't it? Yeah. It was something that developed, and I, you know what? You know where? I, and we never talked about the origin of where this came from. This came from, and we haven't gotten back to this book yet. Hmm. When I was reading that techno mage yeah, thing, yeah, right. And that was the first time I came across this idea of language being a technology. Yeah, they got right. a whole, in fact, I should have read that for this one, but because he has a whole thing around this technology called language and the stuff that's kind of come out of that. But yeah, we have to revisit that book. Cause yeah, or I'll visit it for the first time. Yeah, there was a lot of good stuff in there in that book. Okay, so cool. pay attention to 
the language that you are using and think about what kind of influence that might have that you're putting out there and then using your natural born curiosity if you do have such a thing um, ask questions ask people what their map of the world actually is and you'll be amazed at what you discover hey everybody thanks for listening to the podcast we really enjoyed bringing you the episodes over the past two years we have a goal for 2018 to grow our audience our contemplate our community of contemplators like you and we'd really appreciate your help in fact there's a few things that you can do quite easily that would really help us out a lot One is by sharing it with other friends that you think might enjoy listening to the show. Another is going to iTunes and giving us a review, which will boost the algorithm and put the show out in front of more eyes that um, people can come across it. And you can financially support the show by going to the contribution section of our website. Thanks a lot.